Hey everyone, this is Cody. In this episode, I talk about the topic of artificial intelligence and automation. I should say up front that I don't proclaim to be an expert on this topic. There are many people who are much smarter than me who know much more about this issue. I'm simply interested in AI, and I'm worried about the direction that AI is taking us as a society. What is artificial intelligence? According to John McCarthy and Marvin Minsky, who are sometimes credited as the fathers of the field of AI, artificial intelligence can be defined as any task performed by a program or machine that if a human carried out the same activity, we would say that the human had to apply intelligence to accomplish the task. A crucial distinction that's made in the field of AI is the distinction between narrow artificial intelligence and general artificial intelligence, or AGI for short. A narrow AI is an AI system that's able to execute a specific task in a particular cognitive domain. So, for example, a calculator is really good at performing a particular task, namely executing mathematical functions, but it really can't do much else. An artificial general intelligence is an AI system that's able to perform all of the same intellectual tasks that a human can perform. AGIs are able to learn novel skills on the fly, just like humans can, and they can flexibly execute goals across various cognitive domains, just as humans can. Now thus far, all of the AI systems that we've produced as a species, technically speaking, only qualify as narrow artificial intelligence. We have yet to produce anything that truly counts as an AGI, and that applies to even the most sophisticated AI systems that we've developed. But there have been many recent breakthroughs in the field of AI, which suggest that we might be getting closer to developing artificial general intelligence. In 2009, the self-driving Toyota Prius completed 10 journeys of 100 miles each. This was a pretty big breakthrough. In 2011, IBM's Watson program beat the World Jeopardy champion. In 2016, Google's AlphaGo AI beat the World Go champion even more impressive feat. And just last year, there was the development of an AI system called GPT-3. GPT-3 is able to produce convincing human-like text. There's actually an entire Guardian article that was written by GPT-3, and it seems as if a human wrote the article. I definitely recommend checking that out, and I'll link to it in the show notes. And Many people within the field of AI think that we are indeed getting closer to creating AGIs. So just to read a quote from ZNet.com, quote, a survey conducted among four groups of experts in 2013 by AI researchers Vincent Moeller and philosopher Nick Bostrom reported a 50% chance that AGI would be developed between 2040 and 2050, rising to 90% by 2075. Now, I think it's important to clarify that when people talk about the prospect of creating artificial general intelligence, 
It's not necessarily the case that this AGI will be conscious. In other words, artificial general intelligence doesn't necessarily entail AI consciousness. And by consciousness here, I mean what philosophers often call phenomenal consciousness. So an entity counts as phenomenally conscious if and only if the entity has a subjective point of view, or if there's something it's like to be the entity from the inside, or if the entity is sentient, or if the entity has the capacity for feeling and the capacity to suffer. There are different ways to clarify the concept of consciousness, but that's what I mean when I'm talking about it here. And it's simply not clear that when you get a certain level of intelligence, consciousness emerges. It might be that consciousness and intelligence are distinct, and it might be possible for an artificial general intelligence system to be completely devoid of inner subjective experience. Now, some people might deny this. Some people might think that consciousness does come along for the ride when you reach a certain peak of intelligence, but this is a controversial claim, partly because the nature of consciousness is still fundamentally mysterious. I'm going to do a whole nother episode on AI consciousness, so I'll get deeper into the issue there. But I think it's just worth flagging that point. Now, when people talk about the prospect of artificial general intelligence, a nearby concern is what's called superintelligence. So if an AGI is an AI system that's equally as smart as a human, a superintelligence is an AI system that's vastly smarter than a human. I think that we are in the process of creating superintelligence, and I think that there are only a few assumptions that one needs to take on board in order to take the concern of superintelligence seriously. The first assumption is that intelligence is ultimately just a matter of information processing and systems. And I think that anyone who studies intelligence will tell you that this is the case. The second assumption says that we will continue to create more efficient information processing systems. In other words, we will continue to improve our machines. Technological progress will transpire full steam ahead. This assumption also seems to be true, right? What could prevent us from improving our technologies apart from some apocalyptic event, right? Or maybe some even more deadly global pandemic. In the absence of those things, we will continue to improve our technologies. And finally, the third assumption that one needs to take on board in order to take the prospect of superintelligence seriously is the assumption that human intelligence doesn't lie on a peak of intelligence. Right? In other words, there are realms of intelligence which transcend human intelligence. Even though we're the most intelligent species that we're aware of, that doesn't mean that it's impossible for there to be another being which is more intelligent than us. Right? It would be extremely vain to think that we're as intelligent as a being could possibly be. So the conjunction of those three assumptions entail that we're in the process of creating some kind of superintelligent being. Again, the first assumption says that intelligence is ultimately just a matter of information processing and systems. The second assumption says that we will continue to improve our information processing systems. And then the third assumption says that human intelligence doesn't lie on a peak of intelligence. Now, I know that there are disagreements within the AI community about the time horizon here. Some people think that superintelligence or AGI might be developed within the next couple of decades, and other people think that it's still centuries away. 
But I think that regardless of the time horizon, we should be taking this prospect of superintelligence extremely seriously, especially given how disrupting of a technological breakthrough this could be for society. A lot of people call the emergence of superintelligence the technological singularity. Right? The idea of a singularity comes from the concept of a black hole, a singular object in space and time, and a place where normal laws of physics break down. In a similar vein, the technological singularity is supposed to generate runaway technological growth and massive alterations to civilization and the human mind. And again, there's disagreement as to whether the emergence of super AI the emergence of the technological singularity will be a good thing for humanity or a devastating thing for humanity, right? There are transhumanists like the futurist Ray Kurzweil who think that superintelligence will aid humanity. And other people, technological pessimists, are extremely worried about this. One of the main worries here is that we're going to develop AIs that are capable of what's called recursive self-improvement, right? An AI system that's able to improve its own code and give rise to a smarter iteration of itself. Then that smarter iteration of itself will in turn give rise to an even smarter iteration. And this kind of chain reaction will lead to an intelligence explosion, potentially overnight. Now, one of the main concerns with superintelligence is what's, is what's called the value alignment problem or the control problem. I feel like science fiction has programmed a lot of people to think that the main threat associated with AI is the development of malicious robots, right? Terminator machines or something like that. But I'm pretty sure that most people talking about this issue aren't concerned that we're going to develop AIs which are hostile towards humans but rather they're concerned that we'll develop AIs that we can't control or AIs whose values aren't aligned with our values. The philosopher Nick Bostrom recently wrote a book called Superintelligence in which he clearly motivates the value alignment problem and he gives different thought experiments to motivate the problem. Right? One thought experiment is this. We create a superintelligent AI and then we program into this AI the goal of curing cancer. We say that we want this AI to cure cancer. And then the superintelligent AI figures that the easiest way to cure cancer is just to destroy all of carbon life, right? No carbon life, no cancer. So that's not really what we meant, right? <laughs> or imagine a self-driving car and you tell the self-driving car to get you to the airport as quickly as possible. And then the car proceeds to go 200 miles per hour, plowing through civilians, making you spill your drink on yourself, and it gets you there as quickly as possible. But again, that's not really what you meant, right? You meant something like, get me to the airport as quickly as possible while abiding by all the relevant traffic laws, etc., etc., right? One really helpful analogy to illustrate the value alignment problem is to consider the relationship that humans bear to ants, right? Most humans aren't particularly hostile towards ants, right? They have no malintent towards ants. But if there's an anthill that's in the way of what some human wants to do, the human will, without hesitation, completely destroy the anthill, right? 
And again, it's not like the human harbors any particular prejudice towards ants. Maybe some do, (laughs) but most don't. The worry with superintelligence is that the relationship that super AIs bear to humans will be analogous to the relationship that humans bear to ants. Super AIs may not be particularly hostile towards us, but if we get in the way of them accomplishing their goals, they might just destroy human civilization. Now, I want to talk about the specific problem that AI poses to the job sector and the issue of automation. But before I do that, I feel like it's worth just briefly saying a few words about the underlying technology that's been largely responsible for the recent AI revolution. Insofar as I understand it, recent breakthroughs in AI research have taken place in the field of machine learning. Machine learning involves a computer system being fed humongous amounts of data and then using this data to learn how to carry out a certain task, such as speech or image recognition. And I believe that there are two factors that are largely responsible for the recent revolution in machine learning technology. The first of those factors is what's called big data, or the fact that we're able to increasingly feed these machines larger and larger amounts of data that they can play with. And then the second factor that's responsible for the machine learning revolution is the development of technological innovations and hardware, which allow for greater memory capacities and quicker computations. For example, GPU is a particular piece of hardware that's helped propel the machine learning revolution. A GPU is a graphics processing unit. It was originally used and developed for video games in the 1970s, but it began to be applied to AI in the early 2000s. Now, there are many different kinds of machine learning, and I won't get too into the weeds here. And I won't pretend to understand all of the technical intricacies that make machine learning work, because I don't. But I know that, for example, there's what's called supervised machine learning, unsupervised machine learning. There are generative adverbial networks. There's what's called reinforcement learning. Right, so there are many different varieties of machine learning here. But I know the subset of machine learning that's primarily responsible for recent breakthroughs in AI research is what's called deep learning. Deep learning systems are deep because they contain artificial neural networks with a large number of layers, sometimes even hundreds of layers. So what's a neural network? Well, a neural network is a computer algorithm that discerns patterns in data by behaving in a way that resembles the human brain, essentially. Again, I won't pretend to know more than I know here. I do know that there are different ways to train neural networks. One particular fascinating way to train a neural network is via what's called evolutionary computation. And this involves a kind of survival of the fittest contest that takes place between what are called genetic algorithms that try to find an optimal solution to a certain problem. And just like Darwinian evolution in the real world, evolutionary computation has algorithms that experience random mutations and that evolve throughout multiple generations. So it's really the increasing power of neural networks that has propelled all the recent success in AI. Now, one problem associated with neural networks I believe, is that there are what are called black boxes, meaning that it's extremely difficult to comprehend what's going on inside of a neural network. 
it's extremely difficult to make intuitive sense of why a neural network makes a particular decision that it does, and when it makes a mistake, why it makes a particular error that it does. And this applies even to the most sophisticated computer scientists who are developing neural networks. Even they have a hard time often understanding the different decision points that neural networks make. And this can be a problem if we're increasingly relying on neural networks for life and death tasks, right? I mean, just imagine a self-driving car that's powered by a neural network. And we don't completely understand why this neural network is making the decisions that it's making, right? This can be a problem, which potentially has dangerous consequences. I don't really know enough in order to say anything useful about how to solve this black box problem, but I do know that it's a problem. And I want to talk about automation and the question of how AI is poised to affect the job market in the coming decades. I've distinguished in conceptual space here three different positions that one might take with respect to how AI is poised to affect the economy. The first is what might be called a techno-optimist perspective. The techno-optimist thinks that AI will have a largely positive impact on the labor market. Yes, it may displace some jobs, but it, it will create many others, just as we've seen with other technological developments throughout history. The second position is a more agnostic position. You might call it the wait-and-see approach. Someone who holds this position just says, it's too early to determine what effects AI and automation will have on the job market. And then finally, the third position is what's called techno-pessimism, or, or Ludditism. And this perspective says that AI will have a wholly negative impact on the labor market, automating away many jobs that will never be replaced. And maybe creating some jobs, but the Luddite says these newly created jobs won't necessarily be filled by the people who lose their jobs, right? If someone is a truck driver and they have their job automated away by a self-driving truck, that person's not going to be able to just to uproot their lives and move to San Francisco and learn how to code, right? Maybe in some cases someone can do that, but in other cases they might just not have the financial means to do that, or they might not have the relevant skill set in, in order to enter one of these new jobs that's created by AI, right? So I think it's worth briefly comparing and contrasting the AI revolution with the industrial revolution, and comparing and contrasting the contemporary Luddites or techno-pessimists with the original Luddites or techno-pessimists. So I believe that the original Luddites were dismayed by the economic effects of the Industrial Revolution. I recall reading about how these original Luddites smashed machinery in defiance of the new technologies. And many of these people were correct in thinking that they personally would not benefit from the technological gains of the Industrial Revolution. Yes, we can see with the hindsight of time now that the Industrial Revolution has produced many good effects for humanity. But as it was going on, the short-term effects were particularly devastating for many people who lost their jobs. And we can see, when reflecting upon the Industrial Revolution, how technological innovation can lead to political turmoil. Right? I mean, just think about it. The Industrial Revolution began with the construction of the first factories, and it essentially ended with the publication of the Communist Manifesto. Right? People felt like, as they were working in factories, 
that they were being exploited by the capitalist class, that their labor was being exploited. And this led many people to turn away from capitalism and to become more favorable towards other political ideologies, like communism. Right? So there is this direct link that one can draw between technological innovation and political revolution. And I'm worried that the AI revolution that we're currently in will also have political consequences that could upend society. And in some ways, I think that the situation that we're currently in threatens to be even worse than the political consequences associated with the Industrial Revolution. Because during the Industrial Revolution, many people felt like their labor was being exploited while working in factories. But their labor was still needed, right? These people were still necessary. They just felt like they were being exploited. But now, with the AI revolution, I feel like these technologies threaten to make people irrelevant, right? It's not even that their labor is needed, but it might be being exploited. It's that their labor is no longer even needed. And this could lead to a feeling of irrelevancy, right? People feel like that they're no longer necessary for the economy. And what kind of political consequences does that kind of widespread feeling have? That feeling of irrelevancy. That feeling that your livelihood is being automated away by big tech coastal elites who no longer need you in their new world. This is the kind of stuff that sows the seeds for political revolution. We've already seen how AI has increased the already large wealth inequality that exists in our society. And we know that wealth inequality can lead to political instability and in the long-term political revolution. So this is something that the MIT Task Force article that I recently read, which I'll link to in the show notes, talks about. It talks about how AI has led to the displacement of middle-scale workers and that this, this has in turn increased wealth inequality. So just to read a quote, the article says, Applications of technology have fed inequality in recent decades. High-tech innovations have displaced middle-skilled workers who perform routine tasks, from office assistants to assembly line workers. But these innovations have complemented the activities of many white-collar workers in medicine, science and engineering, finance, and other fields. Technology has also not displaced lower-skilled service workers, leading to a polarized workforce. High-skill and lower-skilled jobs have grown, middle-skilled jobs have shrunk, and increased earnings have been concentrated among white-collar workers. End quote. So it's this disappearance of middle-skilled jobs that's leading to greater wealth inequality. And as that quote laid out, there are many white-collar jobs that have actually benefited from the emergence of AI technologies. For example, I was reading an article about how certain neurosurgeons have benefited from AI technologies, which are able to assist these surgeons in the execution of their duties. Now, just to provide a little nuance here, I do believe that there are certain non-white-collar jobs that might be safe from automation, at least in the short term. Jobs that don't require rote repetitiveness. Jobs that mandate some degree of creativity or critical thinking skills. Jobs like plumbing or building skyscrapers. These are jobs that aren't stereotypically considered to be white-collar jobs, but I do think that they might be safe from automation, at least in the short term. Right? But 
That's not the case with respect to other jobs, jobs like administration, right? Which just involves often entering and copying data, booking appointments, et cetera, right? Once we create software that's able to automatically update systems at a more efficient rate, I think administrators might be in trouble. Another point worth emphasizing here is that not all automation involves robotics, right? The real threat when it comes to automation is artificial intelligence itself. And this intelligence need not be embodied in a robot, right? I mean, there are some jobs that are being automated away by robotics. For example, Amazon is now uh, using robots in many of its warehouses to displace human workers. Now, they claim that as the number of bots in Amazon warehouses have grown, the number of human workers have also grown in these warehouses. But it could be that in the future, all of these warehouses can be completely run by autonomous robots and humans will no longer be needed. I think one important distinction that this MIT task force article makes is a distinction between what they call so-so technologies and productive technologies. A so-so technology is a technology that functions to replace workers without markedly improving services or creating new jobs or increasing productivity. Right, so for example, a perfect case of a so-so technology would be a self-checkout machine at a grocery store. Right, a self-checkout machine replaces a human cashier, and by doing so, it, cut, it cuts cost for a business, right, because they no longer have to pay that human cashier. But the self-checkout machine doesn't perform the duties of a cashier at a more efficient rate than a human cashier, right? It just simply replaces the need for a human. So that would be a so-so technology. It doesn't increase productivity, but it does displace work. A productive technology would be something that displaces work while, while increasing productivity and while potentially allowing for the expansion of other types of work. And there are many different examples of productive technologies like electricity and light bulbs. And what the MIT task force article concludes is that there should be more of a focus on investing in technologies that improve productivity. Right, to ensure that workers can share in the prosperity that results from the AI revolution. Now, there are many different ideas about how to tackle this problem of automation, right, this economic problem. One idea that's been floated out there in the ether is what's called universal basic income. And this involves essentially paying all citizens within a country a certain amount of money to help mitigate the economic ramifications of automation. This is something that's been increasingly talked about within the context of the coronavirus pandemic, and it's something that's now been normalized in the national discourse, I think largely by the 2020 Democratic candidate for president, Andrew Yang. All right, so maybe that's a potential solution to our worries here. Or maybe the solution involves radically changing our tax policy, right? such that we're able to redistribute the economic prosperity generated by the AI revolution so everybody is able to get a share of the economic pie, right? Maybe we impose particular heavy taxes on the AI companies that are benefiting the most economically from the AI revolution. I don't know. I don't have the answers. But I should say that Yes, there are certain jobs that could also be created by AI. Forget the article that I was reading it from, but 
one article was talking about how there are three different categories of jobs which one might distinguish that could be created by AI technologies. Trainers, explainers, and sustainers. A trainer is someone who teaches AI systems how to execute particular tasks. So an example would include someone who helps natural language processors and language translators make fewer errors, or someone who teaches an AI algorithm how to mimic human behaviors. To read another quote from the ZNet.com article, they say, quote, One of the dirty little secrets about AI and big data is that the tech giants working on it are hiring lots of human beings to sort, organize, cleanse, and prepare the data to be analyzed in the algorithms, because humans are better at it, end quote. So there are trainers, and there are also explainers. These are people who could be hired to explain how AI technologies to work, work to other people in other sectors of the economy who aren't as familiar with the intricacies of AI, right? like business leaders who might be working with AI. So an explainer essentially translates the intricacies of AI technology to other people who might not be as familiar with AI and its consequences. And then finally, a sustainer is someone who helps to ensure that AI systems are operating as designed and who can help solve any unintended consequences that may arise from these systems. So yes, there are new jobs that could be created, but as I mentioned, the problem is that a lot of people who lose their jobs won't necessarily have the means or the skill set to be able to filter into one of these new jobs of trainer, explainer, sustainer, right? Again, you can't tell the, self, the truck driver just to move to the coast and learn to code. It's not feasible. So now I want to end by talking about a deeper existential problem that might be associated with AI. So just assume, for the sake of argument, that we're able to solve this economic problem of automation that I've been talking about. Right, this, this problem of increasing wealth inequality that's being propelled by the AI revolution. Just assume that we're able to square this economic circle and that we enter a future where nobody has to work and where everyone is taken care of. We enter a future where human drudgery has been completely eliminated because we have AIs that are able to complete the most dangerous jobs that humans would previously had to complete. Right? So this is what I'm envisioning here is the best possible scenario in terms of where this AI revolution is going, right? A scenario where in which we avoid the political revolution alternative that I talked about earlier, right? A scenario where AIs automate away nearly all jobs, right? Where no one has to work anymore, right? This is a kind of techno-utopian vision where AIs will create so much overabundance and so much material prosperity that there will be no need for anyone to have a job and maybe even no need for capitalism itself or the concept of money. Right? Some people have called this vision for the future fully automated luxury communism. Right? So in this kind of automated techno-utopia, there would be an excessive amount of extremely high-quality goods created by super AIs that are more innovative and more productive than any ingenuity created by free market competition. 
right? We, we might almost view this scenario as the logical endpoint of capitalism, as the products of capitalism creating technologies that make capitalism no longer necessary, right? Capitalism involves market competition, which leads to the emergence of AI technologies, and then AI technologies automate away all jobs and create so much economic prosperity that there is no longer any need for people to have jobs. That's the kind of scenario that I'm talking about. And again, this assumes that we're able to solve this economic problem, that we're able to redistribute the economic gains of the AI revolution appropriately and humanely. And that's a big if, right? So, but again, just entertain this for the sake of argument. This kind of fully automated luxury communist society isn't a new vision. So Annie Lowry, writing an article for The Atlantic a few years ago, says, quote, John Maynard Keynes' famous essay, Economic Possibilities for Our Grandchildren, imagines a world with far less work and far more leisure. Sholemith Firestone wrote about cybernetic communism. Yet the most complete picture of fully automated luxury communism might come from not, not from radical leftists or academic economists, but from Star Trek. In the imagined universe of Star Trek, replicators produce physical goods and artificial intelligence takes care of services. There is no need for money, no need for work, and no problems with resource competition. People do what they want. End quote. So there, Annie Lowry talks about the example of replicators from Star Trek in order to illustrate the possibility of fully automated luxury communism. Right? If you have a replicator button, that's able to harness any collection of atoms to create any physical good that you want, then yeah, there's no problem with resource competition. Right? You could just program into the replicator machine to create a meal for you out of thin air. right? So that's a particularly good technology to demonstrate the point. But my question concerning this hypothetical, fully automated luxury communist society is that Will there be a deeper existential problem of meaning in this society? The fact of the matter is that most people in this world tie their meaning in life and their self-worth to their vocation, to their job, right? I mean, that's the first question that a lot of people will ask you when they meet you. What do you do? What do you do in life, right? But in a world where you don't have to work, in a world where everything is taken care of for you, and you can do what you want with your time, a leisure world, will people suffer from a crisis of meaning? Right? And then, I mean, just imagine the, the movie WALL-E, the Pixar movie WALL-E, if you've seen that. That movie depicts a society which is essentially the kind of society that I'm talking about. Right? You have a future society where AIs are taking care of all of the relevant tasks for humans. And what's happened in this WALL-E society is humans have just completely slid down the slide of hedonism, right? They're just blissed out on drugs and food and lower sensual pleasures at all times of the day. Everyone in this Wally society is obese, and humans have completely given up all of their autonomy and everything that makes them recognizably human. This Wally society is not a society that we want. But it is a society that's very similar to this vision of fully automated luxury communism. 
So my question is, if people have all of their time to engage in whatever leisure that they want, will people choose to engage in intellectually stimulating pursuits, right? Will people be writing poetry and creating meaningful art and exercising their other creative capacities? Or will people just turn towards straight hedonism and the Wally Society and blissing themselves out on drugs, right? Because if that happens, that would no longer be a kind of utopia. Rather, that would be a kind of hedonistic dystopia, right? Something almost similar to the kind of dystopia depicted in the book, The Brave New World, but different in a lot of respects as well, right? So again, even in this best case scenario where we solve the economic problem of automation, will there be this deeper philosophical crisis? But of course, all this is hypothetical and we should focus on the economic problem first and foremost. I think I'll end it there. Thanks for listening and stay tuned.